Hello, I'm Julie. And this is a Good Story is Hard to Find podcast. Where two Catholic friends talk about the books and movies they love and the traces of the one reality that lie below the surface. Mm-hmm. And welcome to Silent Movie Month. This, this is... will be our quietest podcast. <laughs> we're just right. holding up the cards, holding as Scott up the said. Cards. You've, you've had. <laughs> um, we're going to do two movies today. And two movies in our next episode, uh, making a total of four in our silent movie month. Um, so this week we're going to talk about The Lodger and The General. The General. We'll start off with The General. And uh, The General is a Buster Keaton movie from... Yay! Yay! I love Buster Keaton. <laughs> 1926 is when it was made. And I learned that it was made in Oregon, of all places. So, oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, even though it was set in the South, it was uh, about, um, well, the general. <laughs> it, it, was, it was taking place during the Civil War um, in the South. And, uh, right. But the uh, general is actually not a general. It's the name of a train. You got it. Yeah. Yep. It's the name of the train. <laughs> in case we think it's a Civil War battlefield right. story, which, yes. which Buster Keaton, as most people know, just from reputation, is known for his humor. And mm-hmm. this one is, I would say, the pinnacle of, you know, sight gags and all that kind of thing, but with a surprisingly complicated story. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's simple, but a lot of things are going on in it. So, mm-hmm. Yeah, a little bit of the research that I did showed that um, Buster Keaton thought this was his best work. and mm-hmm. um, But I, I guess it didn't do well um, <laughs> at the time, and it, it kind of changed the direction of his career in a negative way. Yeah. Um, and it became really famous later. Uh, that's, that's what I was reading. Um, is that what you read? Oh, yeah. That's, um, it's funny because... It, at the time, I was really surprised to read reviews lambasting it for not being very funny, being so dull and boring. And I was like, what movie were they watching? Yeah, my goodness. Mm-hmm. But, of course, they were comparing it to his earlier work. And it makes me wonder if it was something like, oh, comparing something like Steve Martin's The Jerk mm. to, oh, gosh, I can't remember the name. But there's a movie based on a book he wrote about a girl who is like, a shop yeah, girl. Yeah, shop girl. That's what it's called. Oh, is that what it was called? Okay. <laughs> yeah. And that's a serious work. It's got some light moments in it, but it's a completely different animal. And if you went from one to the other, Oops. you're going to go, wow, I did not expect this. I was expecting lighthearted, dumb jokes. And um, that's kind of what Buster Keaton did. Also, it, it really messed him up because it was the most expensive movie for a silent movie at the time. I mean, he spent so much and all these details and all this stuff, and it really uh, cut into any box office they did make since it wasn't what the audience expected. Yeah. yeah. And that was his downfall between so the that, two that was things his together. Downfall, then I guess it was the studio thing, right? Yeah. Um, so <laughs> like, he. We can't, you can't yeah. do this anymore. <laughs> Right. You know, so the movie might have cost a million dollars or something. I, I was reading the numbers and yeah. But yeah, there was, was an incredibly inspe- expensive things that they did. Um, you know, his. Oh, yeah. He, he'd call them gags, right? Right. <laughs> the gags that he set up and stuff were unbelievable. I mean, it's just fantastic oh my gosh. stuff. 
and they're not even necessarily um, complicated, at least for us watching it. It's just all the things. I don't know. It's just, and he's got this kind of deadpan face, and he does react, but it's more like a normal person reacts. <laughs> it's not this big reaction of a double take or a spit take or something. He just, like, there's one thing where, I can't believe this is making me laugh this hard thinking about it, but he he is behind another train car. He's got an engine, but there's a train car that got removed from the train he's chasing to try and stop him. Mm-hmm. And he's he's looking down and messing around with the engine and everything, and it should be behind him, and he looks up and... <laughs> It's not there anymore because he didn't realize they'd gone off on a sidetrack and all these things. And he's like, and then he looks behind him and it's behind him and he just gives the slightest little jump. And the thing I like about it is he builds on a lot of his gags so that he might do the same sort of a gag later. So you kind of know what's going to happen, but he changes it. So later on in the movie, the same kind of thing happens. And then he looks behind him and it's not there. And he's like, wait, and he's looking every, what happened to it? You know, yeah, yeah, and it's funnier. It is. Oh, but he—it's he, just funny. I mean, he is just a funny, <laughs> funny guy. And um, mm-hmm. you know, when when you the these, I can't get over the stunts that he does. I mean, I, I think he's kind of oh, yeah. famous for that. Mm-hmm. You know, there's this famous scene that's not in this movie, where he's standing in front of a house, and the whole front of the house falls forward, and he is standing in a place where a window was. And um, if he's like a few inches off either way, he's going to be hit, <laughs> and uh, probably some serious injury. I mean, I mean that oh, that's killed. like yeah. Um, I mean, it's the whole front of a house, and um, well, just amazing that you know. And in in this movie, there's some stunts as well that he's doing live, and and I don't know how many takes it might have t- taken, but. Um, you know, I, I don't know enough about that to know if they took multiple takes back then and tried to pick the best one or whatever. But he, you know, even though the the one where he he just sits on an engine and there's this this rod that is between catcher. Yeah, well, that's on the front. But uh, oh, I when you he's were, sitting, on, yeah, when he's sitting on the side next to the wheels, and he <laughs> he sits down there and he's forlorn, and then the the train starts to move and he you know doesn't notice it. And he's kind of bouncing up and down while sitting on this rod. And then he goes mm-hmm. into a tunnel, you know. And sometimes mm-hmm. on those things, the wheel spins while it's trying to get moving. Oh, yeah. And uh, if it had done that, he probably would have been thrown off of that. Um, I mean, you see what that rod does when that happens. But um, he was really going all out. I was reading that that's one of the simplest looking stunts in the movie, but it was one of the most dangerous for the very reason you're saying. He could have been thrown under the wheels. Right. But this was, he was passionate about comedy and about um, telling a bigger picture. And this movie is interesting. Well, and so, so basically he's, um, it's an interesting movie to me also from the point of view that, it's adapted from a book about a real event. Mm-hmm. Did you? I don't know if you. Nope, I did not know that. that up. Okay, mm-hmm. yeah. So um, the whole story is he's on the Confederate side during when the Civil War is getting ready to start, and it does start, and his girlfriend 
Annabelle Lee, and his <laughs> name is Johnny Gray. So, in case we didn't get these are archetypal characters, mm-hmm. um, he tries to enlist, but he's not allowed to, and I won't say why. But his girlfriend doesn't believe him. She just thinks he's a coward. And she says, I don't want to see you again until you're in uniform. And so he's, oh, how am I going to redeem myself? And through coincidence, um, the and this is the real part, a bunch of union people, spies say, we're going to go down and steal their train and and we're going to we're going to take care of all the um bridges along the way behind us so they can't chase us and all their supply lines are going to be ruined Mm. and so there's this amazing chase that goes on because buster keaton's the only one who knows what's happening and also they've accidentally kidnapped annabelle lee because that's how it works (laughs) and so every all, all everything is at stake and once he figures it all out. And um, so the chase, the rescue, the them getting chased, it's it's all kind of serious in a way. I mean, there were a few times where I was kind of worried about him. Mm. And then there's a lot of times when you're just laughing because he's taken his shoes off and the union guys have dumped all these shoes there. And he's got to find his <laughs> shoes out of this huge pile of boots. Oh, and my shoes. gosh. And, it's, and he's in best. a huge hurry. Oh. It's, <laughs> and it's just... <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! And then he finds one. He's like, I'm never going to find the other one. You know, oh, um, yeah. it's just yeah, it's just so funny. <laughs> and um, but the thing that was interesting to me is instead of being on the union side, which are clearly would be the heroes in our minds, yeah, he's on the Confederate side. And I was reading the book is written from the the union point of view, right? These mm-hmm. are the heroic people, and. So he changed it because he didn't think movie audiences would like to think that a Confederate is a villain. And I was like, who's watching it? How interesting. I'm sorry, yeah. was it only the South that was watching your <laughs> movies? I feel like the whole country was watching. And yeah. he was evidently, from what I can glean, and this if this is wrong, somebody tell me, because I was only able to put together clues on this. At that time, D.W. Griffith was also making his movies. And things like Birth of a Nation were hugely popular, Hmm. which is not very kind to African-Americans or ex-slaves or anything. And he, Buster Keaton, was taking his cue from the fact that this was making so much money that people would rather see the Confederate side win. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, I was like, well, it doesn't really matter because Mm -hmm. you're not asked to care about one side or the other. It's just one side versus the other. Right. Is he going to get the girl? Is he going to stop them from doing what they do so his side will have a chance? All this stuff. Right. Yeah, I admit, you know, watching this movie, I really didn't think about uh, Confederacy Uh -uh. versus the Union. It was it was two sides of a an army. I mean, but there was none of that. None of the whys or anything like that were part yeah. of it. Um, there was no ideology. Just like you were saying, yeah, there was no ideology at all. It was uh, just comedy and chasing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> with yeah. with uh, locomotives. So <laughs> fantastic, oh, yes. Oh, and yeah, and, and all, the, all those scenes were great. You know, so he's just, you know, um, that's what he does for a living is he drives trains. And I, I even love, you know, the very first scene where we see him, where he gets off his train and he's these two kids are there and mm-hmm. uh he's like got to oil something or whatever 
and you know the kids are just like wow you know and he's he just bends over and he's looking in there and the kids bend over to look into i mean it was just like he's just intensely proud of his occupation loves his train so very much and uh um i i just love you know in a silent movie <clears throat> how they convey all that stuff and they figured out how to do all this stuff you know before you know all, all everything that we see today you know in movies and stuff was being done back then um, the, you know, the, the, the emoting, you know, everything that they needed to do with visual photography, you know, and video, they were, they were pulling off back then and they were figuring out really interesting ways. And we'll see even in the next movie, um, the lodger, um, which was right around this exact time. Um, yeah, it was the next year. Yeah. The next year. Yeah. How, how, uh, Alfred Hitchcock, you know, used that medium and, um, you know, so without voices, they what they were able to do, I just still think is amazing, especially in these two movies. Um, yeah, but Buster Keaton it, was just a master of just this visual gag. If you haven't seen silent movies before much, then I expected it to be they do a little thing and you see the card telling you what they said for everything, almost like captions. Yeah. Stopping it and telling you, stopping it and telling you. And instead, they respected the audience's intelligence. A lot of time, long stretches will go by, and you don't need to know their dialogue. You know what they're saying. Mm-hmm. You know what's going on because the, the visuals are carrying it, and the expressions on their faces. And they're, they're saying lines of dialogue. There's a few times when you know you're close enough to read their lips, and you know it's so obvious what they're saying. Uh, very much like today when an NFL play goes wrong and you see what the coach is doing with his lips by the sideline going, Oh buddy, you shouldn't have said that. Um, (laughs) But they're keeping it clean here, but Mm -hmm. it's, and then only when something more complicated has to be conveyed or something setting up, like here's the future plan. Mm. So you know what we're going to do. And then they go into another long sequence where you don't need any of that. And the music also carries it. Yeah. Yeah. So that's neat. Yeah. And I listened to an interview of Buster Keaton on YouTube from oh. like 1960. Um, Studs Terkel was interviewing him, but it was, it was really interesting just hearing him talk about, you know, the old days back then. But he, uh, he said, yeah, they used to, you know, you'd say the first syllable and then they'd put the card up and then he would, <clears throat> you know, put the, the scene back on and you'd have, you'd say one last syllable. <laughs> oh, okay. So I thought that was interesting. And the other interesting yeah. thing he said is that they didn't bother with scripts. He said, mm-hmm. you know, why would why would we want a script? I mean, he he kind of went on and on about that. You know, it's like you know they they figured this out as they went. And he wasn't talking specifically about this movie. He mm-hmm. was talking about in general. So uh, I don't know uh, about this specific movie if he had a script going into it or not. But it was like they they'd sit down and talk about like he, he was talking about like a scene in which there's going to be like a fight or something like that. He said they would mm-hmm. sit down, they would figure out what they were going to do, and then they would just do it and film it. And he didn't mention that they would do it more than once, mm-hmm. um, but he, they would they would do it and whatever happened there he, in editing, he would try to use it, you know. 
When you think how expensive film was, yeah. they may not have done more than one or two takes. And mm-hmm. and I'm thinking about things also like I recently saw City Lights again, which is Charlie Chaplin. Mm. And that's also telling a kind of complicated story. Uh, although in that that's not as big a movie as this one. Um it's 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 the serious story, and then it gets stopped while Chaplin does something that's got a lot of funny takes in it, <laughs> and because they don't necessarily fit in with the story he's telling, so um, they do work with it, but it's because you have to otherwise you have like a ten minute movie. Mm, yeah, so yeah, um, but this one is that's why I was surprised when I was watching it because. Even though a lot of it is about some of the gags we've been laughing about, it's a serious goal. He's got to stop them. And he's got, you know, they've they've stolen the general and he wants the general back. He loves his train, but he also wants uh once he finds out, he's gotta save Annabelle Lee. He's gotta let the South know what's going on so they can't cut off the supply lines. And so it's a serious, complicated movie in that way, but they're having fun and being funny while they do it. Mm-hmm. You know, it's yeah, um, yeah. and it has a, it has a definite line through it. I mean, it, as in, there's a plot that works from the beginning to the end of the movie. It's not yeah scattered. You know, which makes me think that they at least in, had an outline or something. Oh no, they had yeah. to. Uh-huh. When he says they didn't script it, I bet he. He meant that, like, for each scene. Mm. I mean, they had to have scripted some stuff. You'd think so. And also, yeah. mm-hmm. I think of some of the shorts that he had, which, um, by the way, I, I meant to mention that there's a long running podcast called Film Spotting. Mm-hmm. And um, they are now doing a series on Buster Keaton. So they'll probably do four of his movies or so. And I listened to the first one, which was last week, and they talked about. I think three or four of his shorts. And that made me want to watch them. Mm. So um, one of them is, I think called one week and that's the one with the house falling (laughs) in. Yeah. <laughs> and they, they say that um, all the cameramen turned their backs while that was being filmed because oh they gosh. couldn't stand to watch it. Oh, I, I can't even imagine trying to do that. No. You know? No. And how would they and the thing, test yeah, it? Yeah. And just... the thing with Keaton sitting on the cow catcher mm-hmm. on the train. Yeah. yeah. Um, that evidently was very dangerous, even though it didn't look like it. Uh huh. Where he's using the stick to push the. the yeah. Um, the pieces of wood off the track. Yeah. So the because, train could yeah, go. if it had derailed the train. That would have been well, yeah. pretty bad. <laughs> or if he'd have slipped off, he would mm-hmm. have gone right under the wheels. Yes. I mean, these things are really going. There's no CGI. Yeah, you don't, you don't stop it in a, yeah. in a short Watching distance. this, I realized how dependent I was in feeling comfortable in a movie with knowing that it's CGI and mm-hmm. that stunts are so um, advanced. Yeah. doesn't mean people don't still get hurt, but, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. And I, I wonder if he ever got hurt. I don't know the answer to that. I'm I'm yeah, actually curious know. now to read maybe a biography of him because yeah, it's just you'd think that something went wrong in his career, you know, and he he might have gotten hurt at some point. I'd just like to hear about that cuz again, that that house thing, I mean to stand there with that expression and uh just let that happen. My goodness. I I just can't even imagine doing that. Just um, this weekend, in the Wall Street Journal, there were reviews of 
two books that are new about mm-hmm. Buster Keaton. Really? One, yeah, no. So I'm <laughs> like, I, one is called The Great Stone Face, and it's a great big biography uh-huh. by a Hollywood biographer. And the other one is called Cameraman, and it's by a film critic. Hmm. And the, the Cameraman book is what inspired the film spotting guys to do their series. Oh, cool. I remember now yeah. they were saying that this author had helped inform them and was going to be on like at the very end after they do their three or four movies in a, in a oh, series nice. like this. Mm-hmm. They'll, they'll have their awards for what was the best this or that, which I don't really care about. But that person mm. will be there for those. Uh, so anyway, just – and that's a shorter book and it focuses more on the filmmaking. So mm. depending on what kind of thing you're interested in, um, the reviewer said you need both. I I'm not as interested in Buster Keaton as that person might be, so uh, I don't know. Yeah. But. Yeah, it is a fascinating time. It, it, it'd be interesting to read about. Uh, I mean, this is the beginning of the film industry, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and already there were studios, and um, yeah. Oh you yeah. Know, I, I know you. You know a lot more about that than I do, but I, oh, I, I do find that don't. very interesting. <laughs> well, every now <laughs> and then not. we're talking about this studio <laughs> system. So, but oh um, well. But yeah. But this was the beginning of it. How they get the money for this stuff, yeah. Yeah, and that stuff I don't know, and especially Mm. about this time period. But I will say that when they made money on these movies, they made a lot of money. Mm. And it was kind of more like India, where people would go more than once to see something because it was um, affordable, and there was no TV. And I'm thinking, when was radio... Radio's heyday. Hmm. I mean, the the heyday of it was really forties, fifties. Yeah. So so think this is if you're not going to go see a play, this is more affordable than a play. Yeah. Um, and you could at least go once a week, maybe, or or however often. Even if you're very poor, you get to go sometime. And so yeah, and there was no income tax yet, so these stars were insanely rich. Yes. Well, that's interesting. Anyway, these would have been making a lot of money, and these stars were so celebrated. I mean, when you think about it, they had... I mean, people killed themselves when Valentino died, <laughs> literally. Mm-hmm. His um, his funeral, there were so many people there, and I know I've talked about this before a little at some point, but I mean, people were crushed in the crowd. It was just insane. People were fainting. And so it was um, It was something that we always think, you know, the 1920s were more dignified. Not necessarily. People <laughs> were people. Mm-hmm. And um, and this movie, I wanted, there was something that I thought was kind of interesting is, um, Rose watched this with me. And we know Rose <laughs> thinks about stories differently. And she also, you know, studied film and all that, blah, blah, blah. Um, but she was saying it was such an unusual unus- subject to choose. That's one of the things that the reviewers complained about. And she said she thought that said a lot about Buster Keaton's ambition as a comedian. Hmm. That he could tell this big, grand story. And in his medium of comedy and hold it together. And I think that's why now it is celebrated. Hmm. And it's one of the few silent movies people have heard of if they've heard of silent movies. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, you think it, mm-hmm. the four movies we're talking about, The General and Metropolis are the ones people have heard of. 
And then you've got Charlie Chaplin, City Lights, you know. But mm-hmm. there aren't many. Right. Yeah. And the other thing I thought was kind of interesting, we are talking about it and, and musing on the fact that um, it's during the Civil War, Buster Keaton is playing a Confederate, and the Civil War is not something you're usually funny about. Hmm. It's not popular because of the setting. I mean, and so, you know, Vietnam War, you had MASH. Mm-hmm. Or that, I guess that was the Korean. That was Korean, yeah. But, you know, close enough that because of the Vietnam War, when it was being, that was going on when it was being shown, and that was the attitude people were carrying on with. And um, so you think about it and you go, they don't really do it with the revolution either. Mm-hmm. But the other wars, you know, you've got various, World War II, of course, has all kinds of things. And you think, is it the Civil War? Is that because. It's so personal to Americans. You know, yeah, you don't yeah. Mel Brooks didn't do anything. Mm-mm. And he did Blazing Saddles in a way that was <laughs> very, would totally be canceled today if yeah. anybody stopped and looked at it again. For sure. Yeah. Um it was believe it or not, a more tolerant time then. Um <laughs> but it's just kind of interesting to think about is what does the Confederate War mean that it's always looked at seriously. Hmm. At, at least I looked around looking for things, comedies written, um, performed about that time period, and this was really the one that kept popping up, the general. Yeah, yeah. You know, I'm thinking about that. You know, I, I don't know what came before, but you, you'd think that this was a pretty serious subject. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, 1926, we're only... Not well, that far. Yeah, not that far. Maybe 40, 50, 60 years, maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah. Interesting. You know, that, that's a lifetime. You know, it's only a lifetime away, but it is a lifetime away. Well, So, for me, yeah, it would be like the World Vietnam War. War. Yeah. They still make World War II movies, and we still know which side to cheer for. And I think maybe that's part of the problem is there's one side that's that can't cheer mm-hmm. and the other side that does cheer. Um, and again, we've, we've talked about this before. I totally, I think the way history worked out was fine. Mm. Um, it was the right thing, but you see how we're still divided over it. Yeah, we definitely are. And then, you know, I don't know. I've heard comedians say that, you know, in, in the uncomfortable spaces is where they can get the most comedy, Mm. you know, and this could be an example of that, an early example of that, um, on film anyway. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But yeah. Interesting. Very interesting yeah. thoughts. So, Very interesting yeah. thoughts. But yeah. But Buster Keaton, man, he's a, he's a master. Um, oh my I, gosh. I, I can't imagine. Uh, yeah. There, there had to have been something else going on there, but you know, like you said, maybe it was the stuff that came before things that were expected of a Buster Keaton movie, but maybe this didn't have in it. Um, but I would have to look into it further. But I, I can't imagine watching this movie and thinking it's not very good. I just don't understand yeah, um, no. that initial reception of this. But, of course, we've seen movies like that before. Um, and, I, of course, now not one can come to mind. But there are, you know, a lot of movies now. Well, Casablanca was just another movie. Mm-hmm. You know, now it's the movie from that time period about that ty- type of a subject. 
Yeah. But then it was just, oh, yeah, uh (laughs) uh-huh. There are other movies. Yep. Yeah. So. Interesting. Anyway. Yeah. Yeah. So that's very good. So, um, so The Lodger. (laughs) Now, The Lodger is done by a famous uh, someone. So this is one of Alfred Hitchcock's early movies. And it's not his first. Um, Oh, yeah. Yeah, but, but. I think that even he said this is the first Hitchcock movie. Um, Did he? Yeah, I think so. That's interesting. Um, because I was seeing that as I was looking through, um, he said that this is the first one that had the elements that he carried on through his career. Um, I've seen other people yeah, say that for sure. There. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so yeah. So this is called the Lodger, and then the a subtitle. Um, of a story of the London fog, which is really like <laughs> a, a Jack the Ripper story. Um, yeah, it's based on a real. It's based on a book mm-hmm. that is a fictional book, but also based on the Jack the Ripper idea. Right, right. Have you read this story? I have not. So. Okay. Mm-hmm. After I saw this, I went and read the story. Did you? What did you think of it? It was good. It was super creepy. It did not mm-hmm. have the same ending. Or conclusion. Yeah, <laughs> oh, no. and I was told that they, uh, well, I had read, I was told, as if someone told me. I read <laughs> that they changed the ending because of the actor that was in it, and they didn't want any ambiguity. Is that yeah. something that you saw too? Ivor Novello is his name. I know. I would like to say that man has the most intense, creepy eyes when he wants to. <laughs> and that's how you meet him, and he's got a scarf wrapped around him. I don't know why the landlady's suspicious of him. Oh, huh. Oh, I mean, man. he's playing right into the type mm-hmm. of the serial killer that's going around just killing blonde girls mm-hmm. in London every few days, certainly every Tuesday, maybe some other days in between. And um, it's always foggy. The police can't catch them. And um, it's all kinds of girls, it seems to me, although I'm thinking of Jack the Ripper, and it was always what a lady of the night or lady of the evening or whatever they call it. But um, And these always seem to be young working women who were, like, leaving a date or on their way home. So they were kind of modern women. Um, that's not emphasized anywhere, really, but I was just thinking about it. Because a good girl would be at home in the night in the fog, by the way. Not out working or whatever. <laughs> um, yeah, so, uh, yeah, and I don't, maybe we'll wait till we get further into it if, okay. if we want to just describe it. Sure, yeah. And then. Yeah, it, well, um, so we see a family that's living in a house, right? And these murders are going on in their town, right? By somebody, some masked figure. The, you know, the Avenger. Sh- yeah, the Avenger. That's what they call him, right? The Avenger. And he's, uh, you know, they're, they're reading about this in the newspapers and, um, you know, everything's pretty nervous. And then this, this guy shows up um, who, who is, you know, Ivor Novello. <laughs> I, I just chuckle because he shows up wrapped, you know, wearing a mask kind of, but he's, he's like the lower half of his face is wrapped in a scarf. And they're like, come on in and, you know, we'll uh, – will give you uh, this room. So he is the lodger, you know, so that he's, yeah. he's, um, you know, uh, in a boarding house or whatever. He's, he's renting a room from them, pays a month in advance. Um, he's very, he's got money. Yeah. He's very, uh, brooding, right? Yeah. 
He's yeah, got a lot on is. his mind. Even from the very beginning, he's got a lot on his mind and um, wants to be left alone um, in the room. And um, <laughs> he he does not like the pictures in the room because they all seem to have blonde women in them. And right. he's turning them to the wall and then says, could you get these things out of here that I don't <laughs> like them? And I'm looking at their house later. They're, they have all the pictures kind of stacked in a dining room or some sitting room or something. And they're looking at the other pictures on the wall. And I'm, they're all got blonde women in them. And I'm like, what is it with the blonde women in these pictures? Why does this house full of blonde women? That's <laughs> the only thing they've got pictures of, I feel oh, like. Oh, man. That's too funny. Yeah. I mean, it makes the point. It gives them somewhere to look. But still. It does. It does. Yeah. <laughs> Yep, and then there's a uh, a person who keeps visiting, and um, that's a police detective. A police detective, yeah. Joe, and he he is visiting because he likes the girl that lives there, who happens to be blonde. Daisy. Um, Daisy, right? <laughs> Daisy and her golden hair. Um, yes. Which uh, is admired by both the lodger and the detective. Daisy's a vivacious, beautiful young girl. Mm-hmm, a lot of mm-hmm. personality. She laughs a lot. Mm-hmm. And she's also, the family is poor. Um, and I think if we were living in that time and maybe in England, but I think anywhere like in the U.S. also, we would know from their surroundings. They're cooking in the basement. They're doing their own cooking. Mm. Um, the the father at one point, he's wearing a fancy suit because he's gotten a job going off and waiting tables at a big party. So, um, in the book, it's made more clear, and we don't need to talk about that. But it follows those kind of things very clearly from the book. And mm. um, Joe is the kind of guy I would like to give a tight slap to. He's very obnoxious. <laughs> he thinks he's being hilarious in the way that, like, a uh, what 12-year-old boy does by yeah. showing a girl he likes her by splashing water on her and laughing mm-hmm. or poking her a lot. And I'm like... Oh my gosh, could you not have found a better way to be kind of uncomfortable but show her you like her than, you know, I don't know, tickling her. And, you know, I just just putting your handcuffs on her for fun (laughs) and not giving her the key and not letting her out when she Uh, passed. I'm just like, oh my gosh, no wonder she likes the lodger who likes to play chess with her and look at her sweetly across the chessboard and say (laughs) nice things to her. I also would prefer that. Mm -hmm. Oh. And, you know, and she makes it clear to Joe. She's like, oh, you're okay. I kind of like you, but I really like this guy upstairs. <laughs> and it opens up. Um, the film is interesting, too, because um, one thing it's looking at is uh, the mother, mm-hmm. the landlady, and her suspicions of the lodger. She hears him leaving at night on nights when girls are killed. That was killed. a fantastic scene. Yeah. Oh my gosh! In and the that, bedroom that with the scene, shadow. You know, something that I would say is very Hitchcock is that view of the staircase from the top. Yeah. And you can see that hand kind of going around <laughs> in circles, right, as it goes yeah, down. Yeah, you're right. And oh, then that he, was great. And then he leaves. You know, so she's waiting for him to get out the door so she can go kind of look around his room. Um, but that was great. Um, you know that 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 was so Hitchcock. Well, yeah, and and we also don't know. I mean, the suspense is really held high. I mean, I was uh, this was my second time to see it, mm-hmm. and Mine too. it was yeah. yeah okay, and it was um, you're just watching him and going, oh well, now you're being super creepy and suspicious. Just those <laughs> crazy eyes you can do. Mm-hmm. Now you're being 
being so nice and the way you're sweetly kissing her or trying to kiss her because she's a good girl <laughs> and you know just you know looking into her eyes and everything and i'm just like oh you're so wonderful <laughs> i mean he really to me seemed to flip moods well mm. But um, he is out at night on the nights when people are killed. He does happen to have a map that he's been making all the places <laughs> the Avenger has been. Right. <laughs> that mm-hmm. he's hiding. All mm-hmm. these things. And um, But when it opens, I think something that we need to mention is the style of the movie. Mm-hmm. And I guess you've told a lot of the plot. Sure, sure. Um, yeah, and, and there is style, you know. So I was, if we contrast it with the general, I mean, even the... The captions or whatever you call the yeah the title card title cards yeah. yeah and there was there was color I mean I, I'm assuming that the version that I watched is like it was yeah but there were yeah, distinctive they, it was like a tint to the they scenes. would hand do that really on all the cells uh huh my goodness so they would have to no. hand do that on like every print that they sent out how how did that yeah. work I wonder really well, you had a lot of people with paint. And so, brushes. Wow. so if you had like, you know, we're going to make a hundred copies of this movie and send them across the country, well, they would have to paint all those. Yeah, because have you seen any of the Lumiere Brothers movies? Um, I'm not sure. What can you name one? So, but the Lumiere Brothers, they did the movie called A Trip to the Moon, mm-hmm. and that's one that a lot of us have seen that has the picture of the moon and the and the um, rocket went into its eye and it's mm-hmm. grimacing, and then there's turns out there's aliens on the moon. By the way. And when you go in your top hat and tails, because you don't know who you're going to meet, <laughs> you have to be ready to fight them and get back to Earth. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's a short movie, but very imaginative. And there's a documentary that whose name escapes me right now, but that we watched and really enjoyed and then watched A Trip to the Moon. And it was so enjoyable. So mm. I will put links to that or a link to the documentary. Great. And... Great. Um, so you can watch it. And so they did early versions of color photography, but also a lot of times in the movies there was hand tinting. Mm. And you notice it was only in those title card sequences. Yeah. So in, so in what I watched, you could you do know, hand tinting like that. Right. So there was like a, um, in the, when they were in the house, it was a certain color. When it was night oh, outside, like it was like a bluish. Yeah. And then it was like um, a bluish color. But some of that mm-hmm. is um, for, they would shoot night for day, or I mean day for night, no. Whichever one it is where you're in the daytime, but you tint the film so it looks like it's at night. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They would do that because they're like, we can't really catch everything we need to catch in the dark. Yeah. And yeah. also we need to photograph during the day because this is when everybody's here. So they would do that and that would affect some of the film quality also. Right. Okay. And then, you know, the last scene, you know, after everything happened, um, was a different color altogether in what I was watching. You know, so I was wondering if that was enhanced somehow. But, you know, so you went from a sepia tone, and when you're outside, it was like a bluish tone. And then, um, yeah, that other tone at the end of the movie, was, if I remember right, it was like a pinkish tone. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, well, and I'm just kind of glancing around and it says, you know, the most common method for adding color was to use tinting and toning. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So the whole scene would be tinted. Right. And that's right. That's what it yeah. looked like. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, 
you know, none of but that. There was none painted, of that in the Yeah, general. there were hand-painted color films from the early, mid-1890s. Mm. Wow. And they were all painted by hand. That's amazing. Yeah. Amazing, yeah. So, um, but there was none of that in the general. That's not kind of what he was doing. And when we watch nope. Hitchcock, you know, even, you know, there was this... Um, like the sign for a uh, show, like a vaudeville show or so, some kind mm-hmm. of a show <laughs> that, you know, he would be blinking like an animated blinking sign, you know. Well, that um, was for the model studio where right, she worked, right? right. That's, that's what I meant. Golden yeah, but the Curls. Golden Curls, it right. Called. It was like there was going to yeah. be a show, right? A fashion show. Right. Yeah. So um, even at one point during the movie, you could see that sign behind them from where they were standing. It was, it was at the end, I think. Right. That yeah. was because what I loved was the way this is you could see Hitchcock working and thinking. So he'd be filming the golden curls, golden curls. You don't know what it is. You've seen somebody get killed who has golden curls. And you're like, oh, this is the movie commenting on what just happened. But every so often it keeps flashing up there. And gradually you realize this is also the name of the model studio where the fashion for the rich people to see the clothing, the girls wear the clothing and come out and parade around. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so you can buy things for whoever. And, um, this girl, Daisy works there. And, um, so what happens is, is you start to see the golden curls and you don't know if someone's going to be killed, if it's going to be her at work, which I enjoyed the scenes of those girls together, kind of laughing and joking and just so normal looking. Mm-hmm. And, um, it, it reminded me again of we're all the same as we always were, you know? <laughs> right. And, yeah. you know, just very average, normal people just living it up, yucking it up. Mm-hmm. And, um, but then um, those titles would also get used, not the, not the golden curls things. Those were flashed like they were neon signs. Right. Mm-hmm. But the, then they'd go, Daisy. Mm-hmm. And there'd be some triangles pointing in one direction. And then it would be focusing on Daisy for a while. And it really only did that with Daisy. Yeah. Yeah. I think he did it twice. Mm-hmm. And that's all, you know, so it wasn't dialogue. It was just the word yeah. Daisy. It's just back with to, a, it's an just ellipses like, after it. <laughs> <laughs> meanwhile, yeah. back at the house yeah. or whatever. Right. And everything really does happen at the house. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the father is just kind of a good hearted guy normal guy mm-hmm. daisy is the the young light-hearted girl mm-hmm. and it's really the the people who you're really kind of curious about of course are the lodger and then the landlady mm-hmm. who's the suspicious one who makes everybody else suspicious and this is where hitchcock comes in because it's um it is coincidental And there is a serial killer out, so you really should say something to the police. Mm. But by the end of the movie, stop listening. Spoiler alert. Mm -hmm. We know the truth. He's innocent. (laughs) And um, so then you have Hitchcock's favorite, every man against the world who thinks something completely different about him. Right, right. Yeah. They all believe something incorrect. <laughs> yeah. 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 So, right. Yeah. And, mm. um, yes, and in the book, another spoiler alert, he mm. 100% is the serial killer. Is he really? There's no rich house. There's no sister who got killed. He's mm-hmm. religious. Uh, he's got a religious mania. Mm-hmm. He escaped from a lunatic asylum. 
Wow. During which time serial killing stopped and then they started after he escaped again. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> and okay. the landlady knows. Was it was it ambiguous at the end even? I mean, we no, you know for 100% sure. 100% it's sure. Him, okay. Gotcha. And 100% mm-hmm. the landlady has figured it out and I think I'm not going to say anymore okay. because we're going to let people if they're interested they should read the book. Yeah. Um, because there's a little bit more going on there too, and it's like uh, I was left really thinking about the end of that book for a while. Interesting, interesting. But so what they did is they took all the elements, and I could see even from based not even just on who the star is, who I know they were trying to make into somebody I think at the time, but mm-hmm. um, I could see just based on the fact that. We can't have ambiguity. <laughs> the good guy needs to win. Yeah, yeah. And he needs to be a good guy. Right. Um, so, yeah, I, I read somewhere, and I'm just looking at the Wikipedia entry to see if this is where it was, but it was the fact that um, Ivor, Ivor Novello mm-hmm. was the person cast in this role, Mm-hmm. And um, Hitchcock was not allowed to leave it ambiguous. They, they insisted right. that that everyone know that he was innocent. Yeah, he wasn't really Hitchcock yet. Mm-hmm. Nobody knew that he was very yeah. important. So he had to do what he was told. How interesting that is, though. That you know, people would consider that so important. Um, they do it today. Yeah, do they really? I mean, like, like, is there some examples? I guess a, a person could decide. You know. Well, I play this type, and then they don't go against type. But um, well, and some people play villains, and some people don't. Or the studio will just you know, say, like Tom Cruise. Want... Tom Cruise is not going to be a villain. There was one movie where he was the villain. Is there? there was a hitman that Jamie Foxx had to drive around in a taxi all night. Uh huh. Gotcha. Um, and he made him complicit in what he was doing somehow. I never saw it. Mm-hmm. But so, and he wanted to play somebody who was a bad guy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, they do it all the time. The studio yeah. will do it all the time, going, uh, we don't, well, you know, I mean, think about the whole idea of there's the director's cut, the editor's cut, and the studio cut. And there are ways to make things look, I mean, now this was shot specifically as they were told to shoot it. But, yeah, all the time. Casablanca, think how it ended. They struggled with that up to the day it was shot. Yeah, that's what I had read on that too. That they and they didn't know yeah. how to how to do it until the very right. end. Yeah, they wanted them to be together, but there was no way to logically make it happen. So they had mm-hmm. to come up with the the cause that's bigger than both of us. So it's a noble sacrifice. Mm-hmm. Well, and in, in movies today, you know, um, there's Iron Man's not going to be the villain at the end. I mean, that's a character instead of an actor. But yeah, but I could see him playing. You know, the actor playing a villain. Because he's open to that, and they're not trying to make him into a star that they've invested all their money in, and publicity. It's all about money. All about the dollar, yeah, gotcha. Yep, (laughs) yep. Yep. And this did pretty well, I think. Yeah, I can I'm trying to remember if it was the last movie he made before he came to America. No, that was, that was, oh gosh, what was that? That was... So I've got his, um, let's see, The Lodger, there it is, 27. And then after that, When Boys Leave Home, Easy Virtue, The Ring, The Farmer's Wife. I was thinking it was, oh, 
the lady vanishes. Of course. <laughs> of course. Um, so London, the lodger, then there was a two years later, Blackmail, which was his first sound film. Then in 1935, and he was directing movies all along, but these mm-hmm. are his big ones. In 1935, he did The 39 Steps, and that got him noticed. And then three years later, he did The Lady Vanishes. Ah, yes. Big movie and really a Hitchcock movie in a lot of ways. And then Hollywood went, oh, hello, over here, please. (laughs) And then he came and did Rebecca. And that just got him going. Suspicion, Shadow of a Doubt, all these movies. Notorious. Cool. Everything. So, Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, these are the movies where, but look what he did. He had the script they gave him and that was fine. Mm Mm-hmm. But look what he did with it. It's it's he had been in Germany and been exposed to the German expressionism films. Mm-hmm. And they say this one is just loaded with all that. And that's why it feels so fresh and vibrant and how it's telling the story, the art deco on the cards, the way he's playing around with using the neon sign to communicate more than one thing or another, and it's a sign of uncertainty. Um, there's and the way the films are cut. And shot is also reflective of German impressionism. It was mm-hmm. a very modern feeling movie. I mean, it was it was um, really influenced by the Berlin filmmakers. They say, hmm. and um, I mean, think of how the opening is. There's the sequences of the girl being killed and discovered. Mm-hmm. Um, think of when the is it um, the is it the detective who's sitting under the lamp. After the, after Daisy goes home with Ivor or whatever, mm-hmm. anyway, yeah, the where they're looking in yep. the footprint and there's yep. all the things they're thinking going through just the footprint. Yep, yep. Colored. Mm-hmm. That's so modern. Mm. You couldn't do that before. Mm. And he was doing all that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So um, this is something where he was allowed to play around with it. Yeah, he was constricted on these other things, but this is a real artist. A real artist says, okay then I'm going to take it and we're going to look at the doubt of every man. Mm -hmm. Then I'm also going to take it and use all this artistic stuff that makes it so cool to look at. I mean, think of after that girl is killed when they're showing how they're going to get the news story out. They're using all the modern technology. They don't just have somebody on the street doing town crier stuff. They're showing us the gigantic presses, all the papers coming off. Here's the story while the ink is still wet. That's how fast this news is getting to you. Here's a guy who is on the radio getting the news out. Um, it Today, it would be using completely different medium of communication, but we'd all know the story. Right. We all yeah. understand. And that's those are the kinds of movies that taught us to understand what this sequence is saying. Absolutely. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. And this was all new at the time, right? Yeah. These are new techniques at the time. So it's interesting oh, yeah. you say that's from, you know, German expressionism. So these Yeah, Which I, we I'm will not be familiar finding with that. Yeah. Well, next time we're uh, going to talk about Metropolis uh, and you are going to get a whole eyeful of <laughs> German expressionism. Okay. Very it is, good. All it right. is nuts. <laughs> that's cool. Love it. I am looking forward but, to that. Um, yeah. Yeah, and mm-hmm. and I would say this is actually just a fun movie to watch. It is, yeah. Um, yep. I mean, things, and it's so effectively done. There's one point where um, the lodger is trying to kiss Daisy, and she's like, oh, well, you know, I, I don't want to kiss you. I'm just, I'm a nice girl, I am. And he's not forcing himself on her, 
he's insistent the way somebody who loves someone is. And she's mm-hmm. not exactly just leaving the room. She's still there mm-hmm. in his arms. And I'm like, I'm sitting there going, I want this kiss to happen. It <laughs> needs to happen so much. Mm-hmm. I was invested. And it was such a tender, sweet kiss. Mm-hmm. It was so satisfying to watch. I mean, <laughs> you just were like, this guy can't be a killer. No one who kisses like that could be a serial killer. <laughs> I think could be a wrong criteria. Please don't tell me. In this movie, <laughs> no one kisses like that. <laughs> oh, too fun. That's fun. Uh, but, but yeah, yeah I, was there, and, I was right there with you too. Yeah, it, it just like, yeah, these two need to get together. And um no doubt. And th- th- that's, yeah, and she needed to get rid of that um, investigator guy, that police guy, because uh, you're right. I mean, he was he was just tough to watch. <laughs> he, was, he was the worst thing it's about funny. this movie. Yeah, and I, I know, um, you know, you know people like that, you know, that just yes. don't seem to understand they're doing something that they think is really funny when it's really uncomfortable for whoever it is on the other end, you know. Yeah, and that's so. a good point because they start off showing how awkward he is. But with the cookies, the mm-hmm. cookie dough that oh, he yeah. cuts out in hearts and then tears the heart and sticks it on there. And she kind of gives him this look like, oh, please spare me. <laughs> and then, um, but it's, mm. it's that real awkwardness of somebody who doesn't know mm. how to really talk to a girl yeah. or get his feelings across. I mean, I remember the first time I watched this at one point, I was like, I feel like maybe Joe's the serial killer. <laughs> He's out there as one of the police watching mm-hmm. every Tuesday night, and he yeah. is terrible with the ladies. Right, right. I just feel like that's a thing. <laughs> um, I uh, was disappointed when it wasn't the case. Yeah. <laughs> but, oh, that's funny. Um, <laughs> and the other thing that's kind of interesting is, I think once he was told he couldn't, uh, have an ambiguous ending. Hitchcock was not really interested in who the murderer was. I mean, the whole movie is about who is the murderer. Is it the yeah. lodger? Yeah, he doesn't show the actual murderer ever. No, they just go, oh, we caught him 10 minutes ago. Mm-hmm. Oh, no, he'll be torn to pieces. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and so we don't even get hints at what he looks like. We see people screaming in terror right before they're found dead. But we don't even get a glimpse, an outline, a shadow, anything. Maybe we'll see it in The Lodger, too. (laughs) (laughs) He did some other one about somebody who, the only thing I remember about it is some poor guy opening his trunk and finding a strangled body in it and going, they're all going to think I did it now and slamming the trunk shut. (laughs) I didn't really like the movie that much, but I think it was, (laughs) I think that was uh, Lodger, too. (laughs) The Lodger part two. I love it. We'll find that one. That's too fun. No, that's great. That's great. Anyway. But yeah, but it's really interesting watching uh, silent movies. I think it's fun. It's, um, it's uh, you know, I find it interesting what they can pull off or what they can do. And um, thinking that, you know, that it started this way without sound, which, you know, we all take for granted nowadays. But mm-hmm. developing all these techniques and stuff to tell a story on film um and then that's what was passed down. And then once we added sound, it became something completely different, um, yet similar, right? So, I mean, these yeah. these film techniques we're still using. So, very interesting. Well, yeah, and I'm thinking about it just generally and thinking what an interesting kind of storytelling. Because at the same time, you have the beginning, as we were saying, of radio. With radio shows and everything, that's using your imagination to fill in the site. 
Mm-hmm. This is using your imagination, though not as much and in a different way to fill in what are they saying. Mm-hmm. And we're, we're in, it's indicated, it's, you know, yeah. signboarded for us and everything. Mm-hmm. But um, it's depending purely on sight to tell a story. Now, think of how many ways we've come up with to tell stories. <laughs> and we've looked at a lot of them. You know, we've got the old oral stories. We just were talking about the Icelandic sagas and telling them around the fire and, you know, Beowulf, all those things. Uh, we have this, we have, uh, you and I both listen to podcasts and, um, Mm -hmm. we've listened to old radio shows and things, not on here, but it's, we are addicted to story and it is such a way to not only entertain, but to tell truth, but to, um, such a wired in part of us. I'm fascinated by that part myself. Me too. I, I, I feel the same way, um. It's incredible what what people do to tell stories to other people, or you know all the mediums that we've come up with, and um, yeah, I just think it's fascinating, you know, because I, I do love old time radio. I like uh, radio drama, even made recently. Um, mm-hmm. I, mm-hmm. I really like that medium, and uh, I love film. You know, I like to read. You know, I like audiobooks, You know, so. The, I like most of them. So most, yeah. So it's the story that's the thing, really. Yeah, and of course, um, I guess I just feel honor bound since we are the Catholic thing. Um, mm-hmm. Just saying that. I mean, we've got stories that go back. How long is Genesis ago? I mean, mm-hmm. just four thousand years ago, or oh, six thousand—a long time, mm-hmm. thousands and thousands of years—as well as all the other things that have gotten picked up over time when we read um, oh, crud. Oh, Gilgamesh. Mm-hmm. Um, and we can still relate to those stories because we are still people and we still understand what's being said. We yeah. cared about that silent kiss. Mm-hmm. You know, we're laughing at Buster Keaton trying to find his boot. Yeah. Those are all things we still understand because our societies change and, you know, some of the things we care about, the emphases change one way or the other. But story is still the way we understand what's true. Mm. and who we are yes mm-hmm. agreed well put very well put mm. <laughs> and this is only part one of two Yay. Uh, next time like you said we're going to talk about Metropolis and then the other one we're going to talk about is the Phantom Carriage Yay! Yay. <laughs> oh my gosh anything with the word phantom oh. in it I'm just in well that's what made me watch it, and it was mm-hmm. a completely different movie than I thought I was getting. And I was like, what nice. am I seeing mm-hmm. here? And it turned out to be amazing. And cool. these, Yeah, that movie, I think, is the one that shows that there was nothing those people couldn't do back in that time, even without sound and everything, than we can do today for mm. a thought-provoking, interesting movie. Yeah, great. And Metropolis, just, you know, I think I only have to say sexy robot and we're all there right <laughs> we all know yes yeah <laughs> <laughs> for sure for sure so done <laughs> love it love it well very very good so yeah thanks for listening everyone and we'll 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 pick this up uh next time with two more silent movies <laughs> all right we'll see you everybody thanks for listening okay okay thanks bye-bye bye-bye